Welcome back to Above the Shoulders Podcast. My name is Brendan. And I'm Angela. And we are now with episode three today. So what we're going to be talking about is space commerce and the new space race. So basically what we're going to be doing is we're going to be discussing NASA. So we did a lot of research on this because, you know, we're really interested in SpaceX and the whole idea of getting to Mars. And as I think many people are, um, but we really wanted to figure out, you know, this whole privatization of space travel, of space exploration. Um, how did it kind of come about? You know, when I was younger, I thought of NASA as the foremost uh, frontier of of space travel. And since, you know, the space shuttles were grounded a few years ago, you know, maybe a decade ago, really, not even a decade ago, but when the space shuttles were grounded, you know, I understand the need to privatize it, but we really wanted to get into this whole idea of there being a new space race. So, you know, the former space race between the U.S. and formerly uh, the Soviet Union. On who was going to get to the moon. Now, the space race, who's getting to Mars? Who's going to commercialize space travel first? So let's talk a little bit about how this, how NASA created this competition to get us to space. So what happens is well, there, there's there's two there's a program and there's an agreement. So recently in the news you heard of the first commercial uh, commercial space flight getting to the International Space Station through SpaceX. And what does that even mean? So no one really are, are we talking about commercialism uh, when I well let me backtrack. When I first thought of commercial I had previously heard about um, universities putting money into certain things such that they were able to host experiments on the space station. I didn't know if maybe that was what they meant by commercialism, like that you had to that you had to pay money for NASA to be able to host your experiment on the, the International Space Station. But that's not really what it means. What, what it means is a private company going to outer space that's what the what the, that's what they mean by commercial space flight so first when nasa was grounded they kind of had this really smart idea they said all right we're going to set a goal for private companies and we're going to provide some financial incentives and what they did was they set this goal for private companies to help achieve safe reliable cost effective ways to travel to the International Space Station, and low Earth orbit. And what's really smart about this program is that not only is NASA, you know, not taking the risk by, or, you know, the investing their the money, well, they are investing their money, but, like, they're putting it out there for multiple people to kind of, and multiple companies to kind of put their expertise into, and not only are they going to get the result of that, but... In doing so, on their website, they stated that they are going to re- kind of retrieve and collect the information of the R&D, re- research and development, of when these companies are developing the, the transportation system for this. So not only are they, you know, inducing the best result because it's a competition, but they're also learning from the entire process itself. So it's it was a really smart project for them to do absolutely so let's get into 
how they actually started their competition. So once they were grounded, they, they devised this plan to, to get private companies involved with Space Race. Or the, the, they, I guess they really didn't call it the Space Race, but we call it the Space Race because that's what different companies are fighting for, um, the privatization of space flight. So NASA uh, put out this, this competition, and they did it in multiple stages. So let's first talk about the first phase so within this phase, there was two stages. This was the de development phase. So in 2010, NASA uh, stated objectives to the general um, public, and they allowed companies to kind of look at these objectives and determine if they felt like they could appropriately handle what NASA was looking for. So what they said was, companies, we need you to find innovative ways to research your own development of systems, of spacecrafts, launch vehicles, launch abort systems, environmental controls, life support systems, launch, launch vehicle emergency detection systems, and a ton more. And you had NASA putting on the table about $50 million dollars. And certain companies were accepted into the development stage one after they submitted proposals. And NASA divided the amount, the $50 million, not evenly, but to certain companies that um, they thought was, was gonna, were going to be more successful with this. So that was stage one of development. Next, we have stage two of development. And that was kind of similar to stage one, except now NASA has pumped more money, approximately $270 million, into the companies. And they were, these were companies like Boeing, Sierra Nevada Corporation, and Brendan, at which, which stage did SpaceX join? Was it stage, stage two? Stage two. So they were not a part of the initial development of their launch vehicles of the Falcon Heavy, uh, the BFR, you know, all of those things. The, SpaceX did not enter into this quote-unquote space race until the second phase. So they were part of the, they were not part of the initial $50 million investment from NASA. They were a part of the $270 million uh, investment. So now stage three was the Space Act Agreement, and this is where the federal government stepped in to further fund the development of the company's transportation capabilities. So the Space Act Agreement was the, the senators and House of Representatives kind of coming together, Congress coming together, and saying, we need to get the burden of space travel off the shoulders of taxpayers. And so what they said was they were going to take a large sum of money and they were going to invest it into... Um, at three large corporations. So you had Boeing, who got $460 million. You had Sierra Nevada Corporation, which got $214.5 million. And then you had actually SpaceX, who got $440 million. So if you were to rank these, Boeing got the most, followed by SpaceX, followed by Sierra Nevada Corporation. Now, the reason Boeing would have gotten the most is because they are actually the main contractor for the original construction of the International Space Station. So Boeing has a long history of working with the federal government and NASA on not necessarily 
space travel, but space construction. And just to throw this in there, we got all these facts off of NASA's website. Absolutely. Good. Um, so after the, the Space Act agreement, a lot more money was funneled into the research and development of these companies' space uh, vehicles and transportation techniques. Um, so then we move to Phase 4. Phase 4 comes in the form of something called CPCs. And CPCs are called Certification Product Contracts. And, you know, within this this phase, there were two separate stages. So just to backtrack a little bit, you had the development phase, two stages. Then you had the Space Act Agreement, which funneled more money into development. And then next comes the the, the next phase, which also has two stages. So phase one of CPCs was companies getting NASA's actual expertise. So NASA said, we're going to give you money. The federal government said, we're going to give you money. And NASA said, we're also going to give you access to our engineers and our insight. And so companies worked with NASA to discuss and develop uh, flight safety and performance requirements. Um, they made NASA made sure to include you know, what the various types of, um, what the implementation needed for all types of space systems, including the spacecraft, launch vehicle, ground, and mission operations. Companies actually going forth and building their spaceships. So what NASA did was they selected two companies at this point, and they awarded $6.8 billion. That's B, billion. Amongst these two companies, the first was Boeing, $4.2 billion, and the next was SpaceX, $2.6 billion, to actually commercially build and operate an integrated uh, crew transportation system. So, their spaceship. Or their shuttle. Um, so, given this much money, they actually had you know time and resources to actually be able to do this. This was awarded in September of 2014. So there's been a lot of, you know, right now we're looking at going on five years after this award amount. So there's been a lot of research and development since then. And at this particular time, these two companies still have access to NASA's engineers and, and help from the Jet Propulsion Lab. And uh, so th they are on their track for, for actually getting us there. So NASA really helped create this new kind of space race, but in a, comp a friendly capitalist competition way so that you know you're using a capitalist society to to really innovate and make improvements on the spacex or not spacex but space flight using boeing spacex sierra nevada corporation and all of these other uh, types of uh, companies and i think you know that is one of the many great things about a capitalist society you know because coming from a business standpoint when there's heavy competition that it produces the best result in most cases, you know? So I, I, I think it's it was really smart of NASA and the government to kind of, like, come up with this open source project. to Because, I mean, it was just going to be a slow process. But now that we've got multiple companies involved, it, it definitely is speeding things up. And it's producing the best result, you know? It, SpaceX, we're going to talk about this a little more, but SpaceX now, we know, several years later, that they can reuse rockets. They can 
they can go up into space and they can come back down and re-land them. Like, we've just made amazing feats in the past couple years. So, Angie, what do you think is in it for private companies? Like, why, why do they want to do this? Well, so, in 2018, this space industry in itself was valued at $360 billion, and it is projected to grow to $558 billion by the year 2026. And they're getting early entry into a, a huge industry, so they're going to have substantial market share by the time other companies try to cut in, which is, they're just going to dominate the industry, of course. Um, they're also going to be able to have first access to resources. Now, this is a big thing, because this, this just doesn't involve companies. This also involves nations across the world. Um, such as, like, China is hoping to mine the moon for various minerals and elements. One being uh, is referred to as helium-3 that will help the production of nuclear energy. Which is, you know, that would be awesome because right now China is industrializing itself on coal, which is contributing heavily to polluting the earth. Um, just as America did, you know, back in the day. But now that we know how bad that is, that could really help absolutely and i'm not 100 percent positive what helium 3 does i just know that it, i know that it's extremely rare and that um, they're, they're trying to use it in nuclear power plants uh, another thing that it's kind of interesting to think about is someday there's going to be space tourism um elon musk said that he hopes to get the cost of mars to about two hundred thousand dollars a ticket which wouldn't that be crazy in your lifetime if you went to Mars? You know, Brendan and I were in our early 20s right now. And I, and I asked him before we started filming, do you think in our lifetime we will ever go to Mars? No. <laughs> and Brendan said that Elon Musk says he has about a 70% chance to get to Mars. So there's no way that him and I are going to end up going. Yeah, so the man who actually gets us there only has a 70 percent chance of going i don't have a chance of going but i'm okay with that to some extent i think it would be cool if as long as it was a return trip like it wasn't just one way i think uh, oh, if it was yeah. round no, no. trip <laughs> round trip could you imagine just taking a cruise there never coming back and, and that would be i can one day that probably will be the norm you know let's excursions to olympus mons let's go to mars for our honeymoon or yeah. or like Let's go have dinner on the moon. Can you imagine that? What? Who would? How do they even begin to insure th those types of things? Like who? Could you imagine home, life, auto, and shuttle insurance? That sounds absolutely ridiculous. You'll have to be covered for space travel before you leave. You think they'll have to be like uh, vaccines you got to get before you yeah, go? Yeah, maybe like some other, not like a passport, but like some sort of Earth-wide pass like an earth passport like so i wonder how long it actually takes to get there because okay so let's assume that you know this is this is going to be a hundred years in the future if not longer to actually have not space tourism i imagine space tourism will be sooner but cruising in space taking 50 people on their way to, to mars just to hang out for a couple weeks head back i don't think the flight there is a short flight. 
there's got to be times where there's going to be children born on the flight there and on the flight back. I mean, there's just, just biologically, that's just, you know, needs got to be met, I guess. And so the... Yeah. Does that make them an alien? That's <laughs> what I'm asking. Like, do they... Do they... What, what, who? What citizenship do they have? They're not even born to... It's not that they're not born to a country. They're not even born to a planet. That's crazy. Uh, do international... The mar- you know international maritime laws apply. So I mean, the, but this is another point because of this, because the the speed, you know, the this is speeding up this industry. With that comes regulation. So that's there's a lot of speculation about how that could be governed. Who is in charge of regulating Mars or or space travel for that matter? I guess um. What do is it do called? we at, we just live on one planet? The, like, do we uh, get to make rules for other planets? Uni- United Nations. <laughs> you think they get together and they're voting on it, and they're like, you know what? That's a that's a good rule for Mars, but not for Earth, or vice versa. I vote I vote uh, Earth could probably utilize that rule, but Mars, yeah, this it's a wild wild west out there. They don't need that one. I guess the people who make the rules are the are the people who put their technology there. I don't know. I don't if think it's your, so. If SpaceX puts a habitable lab such that people can go and live there and have some type of event there, does SpaceX not get to make the rules for their own lab on a different planet? Who's going who's gonna to enforce it? Who's going to shut them down? Probably the insurance company would require some sort of civilization, some sort of rules. I'm trying to figure out how insurance companies are, like, thinking about this. Like, how? I mean, so NASA, aerospace companies like Boeing, they're, they're thinking about space travel. But, you know, let's bring it back down to Earth for a second and think about how, because just the way life works, how does insurance work for that? Are insurance companies, you think, planning for this in the future? Like, trying to come up with ideas, you know, think tanking it? It's such a complex thing to grasp, but... but I wonder how they address it. I mean, think about when planes were invented and how regulation came from that and things, you know? That makes sense. One footstep at a time. Yeah, but it just seems weird. For instance, when... When explorers were traveling across the oceans, and let's say they went to an island that was uninhabited, they could make up their own rules on that island. And I'm not talking about going to a place that already has people. I'm talking about going to a truly uninhabited island. You could just make up your own rules on that island. So what happens if you go to an uninhabited planet? I I don't know, but something I've kind of found interesting, this is off topic, but just the this the sheer like this idea of a spacesuit that would hold up on Mars is they can't fathom how to create that yet because it's so cold. Isn't the moon just as cold though? Mm, not sure. The moon doesn't even have an atmosphere, or it's it's very it's very minimal. 
Like the moon, one side of the moon is very high. But I mean, for um, not for like temporary trips, but like uh, if there was like a hab there or whatever you want to call it, a like, hab, it's a habitat. A, a st- well, that's what they call it in all the movies. <laughs> but, the Martian. I love that movie, but um, you know, for long term living. Yeah, no, I imagine that that would be difficult, especially because the pressure there is so low. You know, it has to be, one, you're going to have, I mean, I know the pressure is low on the moon, but, I don't know. Mars just feels more dangerous because it's further away. Well, and so. Even though I know the moon is very dangerous. It just, for some reason in my mind, I'm like, wow, man, you're, you're a long, you're a lot farther away from Earth. Even though it doesn't really make sense because the moon is, is super dangerous look at it you can look at it in the night sky and see it riddled with holes with impact craters you can't really look at mars and see impact craters at least you know from from our line of sight i know you can with a telescope but not not with our own eyes and but for some reason i still get more scared thinking about going maybe it's because people have gone to the moon and come back and no one's gone to mars and come back that i find it scarier i could absolutely be in the minority there yeah, I think you might be. <laughs> I might be. But, okay, but are companies like Boeing and SpaceX, they're just thinking about the rockets, the infrastructure. But are do you think that they're also in the business of designing, like, y- you know, spacesuits for humans? Do they oh, do they anything like that? Well, so, like you said, SpaceX and Boeing are very interested in the transportation aspect of getting to space. There are other companies that are more interested in other aspects of getting to space. So, for instance, the International Space Station is just a floating laboratory in low Earth orbit. It's about 250 miles above Earth's surface. And that's just the International Space Station. Well, there are companies that are trying to build their own International Space Station. Let me see if I can figure out... Which companies those were? I know there was a few. Mm, I can't seem to find it. But uh, there are multiple companies that are that are that NASA has contacted to, you know, use the International Space Station or, or come up with their own International Space Station. But what is in all of that for NASA? NASA letting private companies use the international space station and things like that. well not just use it they're they're nasa's giving them funding nasa's giving companies expertise which i think is probably bigger funding is important expertise is extremely important no amount of money can teach you a person can teach you or you know someone who contains that information can at least display it in a medium that you can teach yourself so what is in it for nasa they have to have something. There's some type of incentive. There's no way, you know, I imagine just the the sheer want to explore probably drives a lot of them. But what else does NASA get from the private companies? What do you think? I mean, definitely data. Their data. I'm sure they have to sign some sort of contract that everything they discover while they're there, NASA has rights to it to be able to use it or something like that. And and NASA probably gets all the 
all the architectural plans for the specific spaceships, the the mathematics behind certain spaceships, why they were designed certain ways by certain companies. I imagine the companies still get free thought as to what they want to design the spaceship to be, but NASA probably gets all of that information as well. Like they just get to collect and keep, and you know they might have a binder on in somebody's drawer that says Boeing's spaceship, SpaceX's spaceship. So in like 40 years, NASA's collecting all this data. They're just going to develop this super awesome spaceship if we ever get funding back into NASA for that. Well, so now I'm going to go a little bit into how companies like this address um, public relations and marketing. And so specifically when I was I was thinking about this topic, you have to think of SpaceX because they have just... The past couple of years, the videos that they have created that have gone viral, like Elon Musk sending up a Tesla into space, playing David Bowie, and and you know the the their rocket. I think it was the um the Falcon Nine, you know, went into space and landed. Um, Falcon Nine. Yeah, so it says the Falcon Nine. Uh, was the two-stage rocket that was manufactured by SpaceX for the reliable and safe transport. Um, I'm not sure which, which rocket went up to the International Space Station the other day. I don't think that was the Falcon 9. I think it was something, Dragon something. Um, ah, yeah. Maybe just Dragon. But, but regardless, it, companies like that, the crew dragon. Crew, crew dragon. dragon. Okay. Companies like that that are ch- achieving the unachievable, you know, very little competition, they don't have to do a ton of marketing. Now, you know, obviously they're more business to business oriented, SpaceX. You know, they're not producing anything for the general consumer yet. You know, we could... Yeah, so they don't have to worry about marketing to us. It's not like we're going to see... We don't... You know, Tesla is a different story, an Elon Musk company. They Yeah, they have something to offer the general public. But SpaceX, at the moment, is is, is innovative. They're not... You know, and, and I want companies that are like that. Like, I want companies whose sole objective is to do something that's so far out of of the box that, that we as consumers might not benefit from it at the moment but later on we're like hey we got to mars that's cool and so you know marketing not so much i mean i really don't know too much about their b2b tactics but i mean they obviously they have partnership with nasa so but something of more concern to them would be public relations like when elon musk smoked weed on joe rogan's podcast and their stock dropped immediately um Things like that are more of a worry, especially when you have, you know, when you, when I think of Boeing, I don't associate a name or a face with the company, but with SpaceX, Elon Musk. Yeah, and this isn't like a, you know, we're actually really big fans of Elon Musk. I mean, it's super genius, and you can, uh, you can admire that, that innovative, that, you know, I'm gonna think through these situations and problems and come out with the best optimal solution like those types of things are fantastic and you can absolutely admire that so we're not bashing elon whatsoever we actually really admire him 
oh no, not bashing at all, but just saying when, if, when it comes to public relations and you have one person associated with a company, I mean, that it, there's just always more risk there, you know? I get that. Now, and you also want, like, you want public relations to be good um, be, because of stocks, like you said. It can cause a drop. And you want the science to be so good that the public relations part is easier. For instance, you, you want if, – if, if a rocket uh, explodes with, with crew members on board, people start to question whether or not it's really worth funding that. And so you really want to make sure that the science of what you're doing is, is so good such that you don't have to worry about that PR-wise. Now, anything can happen. There's so many variables that it's, it's extremely difficult to calculate all of them together at once you know i i'm a mathematician and those that there's there's so many variables when it comes to space flight that you know I, and i've i've done a, a little bit of work calculating you know the, the amount of energy needed to to escape earth's orbit but i've never worked with a team on that type of thing actually getting people there you know i was just more of a a problem solver and not uh and any means directly impacting any policy for any company whatsoever. This was more of a um, a knowledge thing at a university that I had to do. It wasn't nearly what it, what it had to be to be able to actually do it. And you have to be so confident in what you're doing. You have to rerun that stuff all the time. I mean, PR will be ruined in that case. Like, you really want to make sure that your stuff's on lock. Oh, yeah. Because if there's an accident, like you said... People lose all trust in that sort of thing. Absolutely. And that's why, you, like you said, it's so important to have that that word of mouth. That's that's why you hear SpaceX in the news all the time publishing, like, they put a they put a Tesla into space playing Davey, David Bowie music. They put, you know, they were the first private spaceship the other day to dock at the, the International Space Station. Like, those those types of things are... You got to keep that stuff up. So that's why when people are like, you know, what, what do you think of SpaceX? We sit here and list all the accomplishments. Like, yeah, and how they landed um, the rocket on a drone operated barge in the middle of the ocean. Yeah, that's cool. And I was actually reading a little bit about that. And the reason why they wanted to be able to do that is because to. Um, Something about the angle of the rocket when it leaves the Earth's atmosphere. When it comes back down, it's really hard to try to land um, in its original spot. Like on land. But if it's out in the middle of the ocean, it's a lot more cost effective for fuel purposes. Really? Something about the angle of re-entry. Uh, like, I watched a video about it, and it showed, like, a little diagram. And the, basically, the rocket would have to, like, flip around in order to be able to land on land. But if they had a barge out in the ocean, it it just was a much easier process. Hmm. I would. That's strange, because I would think that, like, waves would be difficult. It must. I mean, it has to be a really big barge, but... Yeah, and, and what's awesome about that, too, though, is... You know, there's no people around. It's a drone-operated or a robotic barge. It's completely artificial intelligence. It's not, um, maybe maybe not drone-operated. I thought I read that term, but robotic. You know, no humans. So that it eliminates a safety risk. Yeah. 
and there's a pro- there's a ton of risk in there so safety risk minimizing that is massive so another thing that i want to think about is a lot of people are are really excited about you know the new space race and and i am as well i mean i think that stuff's exciting uh, but is it is it is space commerce new? And the answer to that's really no. We have been ha- we've had companies in space for a while. Any all the GPS Garmin, you know they they're sitting there using GPS satellites to help you get from place to place. Apple, uh, Verizon. There are there are a ton of companies that utilize space technology already today. And like Angie said. We don't even have space tourism. We don't have mining in space. But, and those things are going to be huge. Can you imagine mining an asteroid? The, the, the amount of, of minerals and, and, and elements that, that we're going to, to be able to utilize is going to be massive. Um, I, wonder what the, I wonder what the environmental impacts of mining the moon would be. Like what would happen to tides? That, that's, ah, that's a discussion for later. Um, but... You know, we there. You can get degrees in those types of things. There is, you know, I've seen a few mathematics degrees in something called remote sensing, which is like uh, the maneuvering of satellites and things like that. That 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 we have numerous industries, private industries that that deal a lot with space activity. And so, I guess the difference between this space race and others is we're going to be having companies getting people out there normally companies get satellites out there but now we're get having companies get human beings in low earth orbit and and beyond and not just low earth orbit we might be getting them to the moon and we might be getting them to mars and so it, we're just taking what we've learned before and building on it and that's kind of what that's kind of what we do in life that's, that's, how, that's how we operate that's how humans human beings are take what you learn move on yeah, that kind of refers to our last episode where we talked about using your education to um, in different ways. You know, we, we kind of challenged you guys to to use your education in multiple ways. Like Brendan and I both wrote ebooks, which you can check out on Above the Shoulder com. And, you know, just like with the space race, you know, with everything. So... I think that is going to wrap us up today. Uh, we're probably going to do some more. I would love to to dive into topics on the environmental aspects of the space race. I have always, since I was a kid, I've always been interested in space. It, you know, the aspect of the unknown. So uh, tell us what you guys think. We would love to do some more episodes about this kind of stuff. Yeah, that let us know what you think. You can follow us again at uh, abovetheshoulderspodcast.weebly.com. You can also find us on Twitter. Our handle is at podcastats. That is at podcastats. We appreciate you spending your time with us. Make sure you check out our other podcast. We have our second episode. The episode before this was on college and what we, what most people make mistakes on. The episode before that was about the Great Smoky Mountains and the revitalization efforts for elk. Um, Let us know what you'd like to hear about, too. We have a Contact Us page on our Weebly, so you can send us emails there, get in contact with us. 
Um, make sure you follow our Twitter. Make sure you check our website out. And also, if you're very, if you're any, if you're interested at all in and reading our books, you can find those on our websites as well. Mine is about uh, mathematics and and how to improve yourself in that area. Angie's is in regards to content marketing. Uh, well, we appreciate you spending your your time with us. Like again, my name is Brendan, and I'm Angela, and we hope that you have a great day.